we sing about his goodness. We like to talk about it to each other. But as I said earlier, does the world know he's good? Does the world know we care? And let's be honest. Let's go ahead and admit the conditions of our hearts sometimes. We don't want to care sometimes. When people do things that we disagree with and we're frustrated, we want them to get what's coming to them sometimes, don't we? Which is what makes the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3 or the middle of Ephesians chapter 3 so very interesting. Because tradition tells us that Paul is writing this letter from in chains. He is suffering. He is not in a comfortable spot. And he could very easily do what I talked about at the beginning of the service, wallow and say, woe is me, God, this stinks. But instead he pens a letter like no other letter in the Bible because not only is it rich in theology and helping us learn more about God, but it's just as rich as in in compassion and care and relationship and in unity. And if I asked us about the world we see around us today, would those be the words we talk about? Compassion, care, unity. And and, and you know what? We'd probably all agree. Hey, Mike, you know, the world's more divided than united. A lot of people need care. You know, the list could go on. But what if I pushed just a little bit further and I asked a follow-up question? Are you praying for that? Am I praying for that? Do I spend time on my knees, whether it be literally or in some of our cases as our knees get older and hurt more figuratively, do I spend time crying out to the Lord for peace, for care, for compassion? Well, your pastor is not perfect and lately he has struggled with this. And I bet you I'm not the only one. Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3? And I'm going to read just the first section of all the text we're going to cover today. The rest you can follow along with. And I want us to get the depth of what Paul is crying out for. So listen to these words. They're not going to be on the screen, so you'll have to hope that I enunciate clearly. Ephesians 3 chapter, or chapter 3, starting with verse 14, says... And by the way, Paul has just introduced the ideas that he is thankful and he prays God's blessings upon God's people, the church. Remember, those who have accepted Jesus Christ are adopted and welcomed into the family of God, which is known as the church. Then he cries out and he says, remember, you were made alive in Christ Jesus. Everything you do is in and through Christ and the Holy Spirit gives you power to live miraculous lives. And he goes on to remind that Jew and Gentile have been brought together, united, reconciled, made right with God and with each other through Jesus Christ, what we just remembered here at communion. And that brings us to what he now says in Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, because God has a plan for all of us, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We are his. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, this prayer is so powerful and so relevant especially for today of all days, October 1st. So Lord, we pray for the peace and the prosperity of our city, Hong Kong. We pray for the peace and prosperity of our nation, China. We know many decisions in this world are not made according to your plans, but you are bigger than the plans of man. So we think of our chief executive here, Carrie Lam. We think of President Xi Jinping and uh, Premier Li Keqiang. And we ask, Lord, that they would turn to you first. Whether that be in their natural tendency before, you can bring them home. And Lord, I pray for us, the church, that we would shine light when things don't go our way. And when they do go our way, we would shine your light all the brighter, giving thanks and glory and praise to you who has made it possible that we live and move and have our being. So God... In such a time as this, may we live in your peace together as your family. Amen. Well, it is indeed National Day, which for us means we're disappointed that it falls on a Sunday because a lot of us still have to work tomorrow, right? Well, some of you do. Some of you took it off like me. But Paul didn't know anything about October 1st. In fact, he didn't even have that kind of calendar yet. But what he did know was the great power of prayer. And when being a church planter, which is at the heart of what Paul did, he went around the world, specifically Asia Minor, uh, in that part of the world in that time. And Asia Minor was really uh, the southern part of Asia that we know it in the western part or the eastern part of Europe. And what we now know is that Paul was a man that planted churches. He taught them how to lead together. It's why when we talk about our church, we, we've, we uh, focus on the idea of sharing leadership. It's got a fancy term called the plurality of leadership. What does plural mean? More than one. It means Mike is not the end all, save all, be all of this church family. There is a team of elders, of under shepherds and a governing committee and many others that get us together and share. Because if Mike was the end all, save all, be all, our worship would look a lot different than what God has just anointed Justin and the worship team to lead us into. And if you've heard me sing, you know what I mean. And we go through, we are all gifted and we are all brought together. And as Paul considers this, it draws him to his knees. He says, for this reason, for what God has done in you, the church, and for you, the church, I kneel before the Father. Why is that so important? Well, we have to understand that kneeling was not the traditional way of prayer back then, nor is it much today. 
Maybe some of you do kneel, but by and large, most of us pray in all sorts of ways. In this time, in what we, uh, if you grew up in Sunday school, what you would call Bible times, when the Bible was being written, most people would stand and pray. In fact, you'll, you'll remember in the Gospels that Jesus condemns the Pharisees that would go out on the corner and be all awesome and say, listen to me pray because my prayer is so holy and I am so great. There was one problem. The prayer was all about them. And so often prayers of that time, there was nothing wrong with most of the prayers being given. But when you were in deep despair, or when you were truly crying out to the Lord throughout scriptures, we find people in one of two positions, on their knees or literally prostrate, which meant face down, their face to the ground. Why? Out of humble submission and desperation and passion for the Lord. Lord, I am brought low that you might be brought high. Let me say that again. We in prayer are brought low that he might be brought high. And so how does Paul start this prayer for the church? For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, in your sermon notes, you'll notice that I call this a passionate call to prayer. And Paul prays that the church would kneel before the Father. But Mike, the text actually says that he kneels before the Father. Aren't you adding something to the text that isn't there? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. No, I'm not. Here's why. Because throughout Paul's letters, what does he tell us to do? Follow his example as he follows the example of Christ. And if Paul broke down on his knees in prayer, in desperate crying out for the church, should we not do the same? I like deductive reasoning because it's clean and it's simple, and in this case, it works. And it is really about that, that we, the church, should be a people of prayer. And we know that, and most of us will nod our heads, and then we'll go on with our days. So Paul gives us a great look at what praying as the church can really be like. And he starts there. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Remember last week, we talked about through Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross, we have access to God. We are invited into the holiest place in the temple to be with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, praying on our behalf, sitting in the lap of Abba, Father. And we get to cry out to him from whom every family in heaven and on earth draws its name. We are his creation. Remember, let us make man in our own image. God made us. And for this reason that we have been brought together, reconciled as the family and adopted, we cry out and we kneel before the Father. And I think about the world. There is much to cry out for. There's a major leadership selection happening uh, this month just north of our border. And we pray for our leaders of China that they would seek God. There are massive, massive needs of poverty and disaster relief all over the world. Flooding, hurricanes, poverty, 
lack of food, lack of nutrition, lack of help, lack of fill in the blank? Do we cry out? But then as we look inwardly, Paul continues and he begs and he cries out to God. And he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The indwelling of Jesus Christ. Where do we get the idea of accepting Jesus into our hearts? Passages like that one. He is with us and he is everywhere, yet he is also inside us. He makes his dwelling among us. We are told in other passages that we are his new temple, that we carry his name with us wherever we go, so that as we cry out and as we pray, we have that access. And Paul is praying that the church would be strengthened, knowing that Christ in us is the hope of glory, and that we would live in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you get stronger as a church? You ever wonder about that? You know, I can get up here and I can say these things and we can all agree. I mean, so far it's been pretty easy to agree with what I've said today. It's pretty common sense if you're part of a church family. But here's the thing. I know that in the past couple years I have spent more time in meetings. I have spent more time... Uh, sitting at a desk and sitting at a computer and typing. And I have noticed gravity taking certain effects on my life. And what do I mean by that? Well, as some of you have graciously told me repeatedly, I've gained weight. I know, but Mike, you're skinny now. Well, I can be a skinny fat. It happens. And I know that this isn't healthy. I know that I could be healthier. I know that I could work on this and that this could move up here and in here and here. But instead, it's more fun to watch TV, right? Are you with me? Or read a book or do anything. But I know that if I did 50 burpees a day, you know what a burpee is? It's torture is what it is. I don't like it, not even a little. But if I did 50 of those a day, I would notice a massive difference in my body. And I would probably feel better. Do I do them? No, instead I think back to a a famous movie quote that that says, just thinking about it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done. (laughs) And I think in the church we're an awful lot like that. Oh God, I hope you strengthen us today. What's on TV? What else am I going to do with my time? When we come into worship, we come in late. We come in distracted. When we get together, we talk about the weather, about sports, about this, but do we spur each other on toward, uh, and it wasn't my idea, King. The Word tells us that we are to give thanks to God and, and ascribe glory to His name all the time. So I was just repeating what His Word says. But do we do it? Do we practice those things that strengthen us in the faith? I hope so. How do you do it? Well, think about community groups. In your community group, are you pushing each other forward to be more like Jesus? You're gathering together, great. But as King invited us, are we growing to be more like Jesus? 
Are we giving of our time and resources through things like urban peacemakers, support of new sites, support of Kamakop, support of uh, the list goes on and on and on because we have so many opportunities to serve and to go and to be a people that are being strengthened day by day to be more like Jesus. Are we praying that for others? Are we praying that God would strengthen his people and that he would strengthen us? And Paul keeps praying because he prays not only that we would be strong, that we would do spiritual burpees, but he prays that we would be rooted and established in love as God's people. And I liked uh, how some other translations say that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. What sustains us when the waves and the trial and the tumult and the frustration comes? The love of God that covers a multitude of sins. It's the love of God that dives deep into the roots. You remember a few years ago, we had a real and proper T10? Do you remember that storm? I don't remember how many years ago. But if you live out by where I live, we used to have these massive trees around our uh, little housing complex. And at that point, I drove a vehicle that, that was sitting out in our parking area, and a tree just completely was lifted up. It was massive. It was probably a 70-foot tree and covered our car. You couldn't see the car under there. We didn't know it had been smashed to pieces or what. But we looked and we saw this giant tree and when it had come out of the ground, you know how deep the roots had gone? About six feet. And so when the winds and when the, the force of nature came down upon that tree, where else was it going to go but down? It's the same for us in Christ Jesus. If we're not grounded in his love, we're doing it ourselves. And when the frustration builds and when the hurt comes, we will respond in our own nature. We'll do things we wish. I wish I wouldn't have said that. You ever do that? We'll respond out of our flesh. And that's what Paul's praying. He's praying, Lord, may they be deeply rooted in your love that sees past that and sees a people in need of Jesus and wants to help them. So Paul prays that we might be strengthened as we talk to the Father, that we might be rooted and established in his love. And this one, it's almost like he's talking himself in circle until you get what he's saying. But he says that they might know Christ's love in all its fullness beyond knowledge. Well, how do I know something if I don't know it? It's a good question. Again, I'm glad you asked. Because especially in that day, many people knew a lot about stuff, right? But they didn't necessarily know anything of what it meant to do those things. And the list could be endless. I have read many books about climbing Mount Everest and K2 and the seven highest peaks in the world. And I have daydreamed often about being like my favorite climber, Conrad Anker, who has climbed all the seven summits without ever using supplemental oxygen. He's done it on his own. I have gotten nowhere near any of those peaks. I have been in the same state as one of them. 
That's as close as I've gotten. Am I a mountaineer? No way. I've got knowledge. I could tell you all these things about the different routes you would go up Everest or this or that, but that doesn't make me a person with the experience of being at the top of the world, looking down on creation. Again, Paul is praying that the church would not just know about God, but that as they read his word and they they digest it, they would apply it to their lives and they would live in him and experience a fullness that only comes from knowing him in a deeper way. If you're spending 30 seconds a day reading your Bible, that's the kind of depth your spiritual life is going to have. It's, it's that simple. It's, uh, John Maxwell calls it the law of the lid. You're only going to go as high as your lid. And if your lid is, I'm just going to open it, or I'm just going to get Bible Gateway to send me one verse a day and that's it, well, that's as far as you'll go. But if instead you seek the word deeply and you seek to surround yourself with others that know, love, and pursue him passionately, you're going to grow in love, in knowledge, in depth. And you're going to love being together and wrestling with those truths together and growing together and spurring each other on that you might have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to all the fullness of the measure of God. Again, these are really simple metaphors and analogies that Paul gives us so that we can understand a little bit. Can we come to the end of God's love? No. Can we even begin to grasp a little of Jesus' love for us that he would give himself on the cross that we might have life and be made right with God and have access to the Father through his work? We can grasp a little bit. But again, uh, it, it is October and we have many Canadians among us. And October for Canadians is Thanksgiving month. And with that comes usually large tables full of food. Am I correct? Well, that's how it should be. In America, we do this in November. Uh, But we get together and you put this massive feast together and you put all the fixings and all the food and all the wine and all the wonderfulness. But if one person tries to gorge themselves on it, it's not going to go well. But when shared together, what does everybody say at the end of the meal? I'm full. But it's a joyful full, isn't it? Because you've been together. You've enjoyed a meal together. Uh, One of the things we have, we've been blessed with having a space that we can entertain a pretty good number of people for American Thanksgiving every year. And because I'm me and I'm mean, I make everybody be thankful. Because it's Thanksgiving. And you know what? Every year we do that, and every year it finishes, people go out with a smile on their face because they've heard from others a little bit of what they're thankful for in the year to come. And for some of them, we know those stories meant that life that year was hard, but they could still find reason to give thanks. They were full. They were feasting on fellowship 
with their brothers and sisters. And for those of us in Christ, we're feasting together on the love of God that moves us forward. And so Paul is praying, Lord, may the church be full of you and enjoying you together, filled up to the very fullness of God. And so what do we do with that? Well, as you can see in your notes, there's a really, really, really complex action point for you. No, it's not. I've noticed, and again, this is a confession of mine, that I haven't been inviting us to be a people of prayer nearly like I could be as your pastor. And we have three primary ways that you have access to prayer at AIC, above and beyond the fact that you can talk to the Lord whenever you want. Please don't misunderstand. We are called to pray without ceasing that he is with us at all times. But AIC has structured three primary times when you can pray with the family. Two of them are listed on your sheet and one I forgot to put on your sheet and I'm going to tell you about. First, every day at 10 a.m., most of you are awake by then. So it shouldn't be a problem. Most of you can take even 30 seconds if that's all your employment allows to pause for just a moment and pray for the family of God. That they would be kneeling before the Father, depending on him, strengthened by the indwelling of Christ's spirit, rooted and established in love, knowing Christ's love in all its fullness beyond knowledge and filled to the very fullness of God. How long did that take me to say? Less than one minute. But that's the basis for a great prayer of power for our church today. So I invite you every day at 10 a.m. to use that as a model to pray that our local church and our global church would be filled with all the fullness of God. Are we there yet? No way. Look around. The church is struggling. The church global is having a hard time. Unity is a hard thing, and that's what Paul gets into next, and we'll come back to the rest of this next week. Second thing, and we've lost the plot a little bit on this one, and so I'm going to invite us back home. Throughout modern history, especially in Western culture, Wednesday nights have been a time of of church prayer. It's been a tradition as long as I can find, uh, starting as late as uh, the mid-19th century and moving on. and might have been before that. Before that, they were often praying every day in small neighborhoods and communities. But we see, especially in the American church, and then it spread out into other parts of the world, uh, that on Wednesday nights, the church would gather together to pray for the needs of their body and for the world. And we haven't done that lately. And even I've struggled to be there on Wednesday nights. I've gotten sick or I've gotten this or that or the other. And it's just been one thing. And so as I was preparing this message, I was deeply convicted that, Lord, AIC claims that one of our um, core values is that we are a people of prayerful dependence. So, by example, every Wednesday night, we will be gathering. Hopefully, we will grow quickly out of room in the nursery. But here's the thing that we're going to change that we've not really done before. We're going to come with lists of all our people from youngest to oldest, And we are going to pray for the church family by name. And those that we don't know your name, the Lord does, and he's smarter than we are. 
But each week we are going to be praying by name for our people. And then we're going to spread it out. We're going to pray by name for our leadership here in Hong Kong and for the global leadership because the Lord knows that we need his help. And he invites us to cry out for it. He invites us to say, Lord, help us. And so that's what we're going to do. We may not agree with everything going on, but we can always pray. And so Wednesday nights, 7.30, I pray that we need this space right here because there are so many of us committed to one hour or more of laying ourselves before the Lord. I'm not going to force you to kneel. Please don't misunderstand. But I am inviting you to cry out to the Lord with me. And if you can't make it, then just dedicate that time. If you really want to be with us, but you can't be here physically, hey, Skype works. We'll figure out a way. But would you join us in prayer together as the body? Because that's what Paul's reminding us. Pray together. All of Ephesians keeps reminding us back to together, back to unity. And I've noticed over the years that it's really hard to keep pulling planks out of people's eyes when I'm praying for them. It's much easier to look at them with care and compassion and want to walk alongside them and help them. Sometimes they still need the plank pulled. But I begin to be able to depend on the Holy Spirit to do the plank pulling. And I instead walk with them. So we are going to pray like never before, fervently, that God would change hearts, that God would strengthen us, and that God would build us deeply rooted in Him. And we're going to enjoy it together. And then... You've also heard me say that missions is our middle name. We are part of the Christian and. Christian and. Wow. Do I need to teach on the Christian and Missionary Alliance again? We are part of a movement that was started in 1887 by a man named A.B. Simpson, Albert, Albert Benjamin Simpson. And the reason he broke off of the Presbyterian church was he had a heart for China and felt that all people needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world. Here we are, many years later, and I am preaching at an alliance church in China. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, we can debate on how much of China we are and whether we're a special administrative region. Don't worry. God understands. But here's my thing. We can pray for the global missions effort and the local missions effort. And our missions ministry team has set up a time to do that every first Sunday of the month. Did you know that? You did. It's in your bulletin. But you might not have paid attention. Now, sometimes you're unable and you can't go, but I want to invite you, mark the first Sunday of the month and pray together. Pray for people like Joyce and Henri as they beg, and the kids too, don't forget the kids. Missions is often harder on the kids than the parents. Am I right? She won't answer because mom's sitting next to her. But we pray for the families. We pray for our missionaries and others. And we cry out to the Lord, God, Make your name great among the nations and those that haven't even heard. Over 3,000 unreached people groups still exist that have yet to even hear the name of Jesus Christ. That should break our hearts. That should put us on our knees in prayer. And even if you can't come today, come next month. But Paul calls the church to be a praying church. And I can't think of a better place for us to be right now than to be a people of prayer. Because transparently, I struggle. 
I see things happening around us that didn't have to be this way. And I was, I was sitting with a trusted friend on Tuesday, frustrated at my performance in a certain game that I won't mention, but it, let's just say it was a good walk spoiled by trying to hit a little ball. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know what else to do. And then I went at home, and when I was at home that night, I reread the scripture before me. And I was reminded that we are called first and foremost to pray, to let God change hearts, to let God bring us together. We're not called to gossip about it, we're not called to do this or that. We are called to be a people of change by saying, God, here it is. I lay it before you, and I'm gathering my brothers and sisters to go out and act. You'll notice that I've only gotten to the first half of your sermon notes. That means I love you enough not to keep going today. So now you know what I'm preaching next week. Then you can cheat and read ahead, as Paul calls us to be unified by how we work. Because in this passage, in Ephesians 3 and 4, Paul teaches us that a church prays, and as a church prays, it works, it acts, it uses the gifts and abilities God has given it to bring glory to God the Father who is in heaven. And so we're going to finish today in a little different way, and I'm going to invite you to do a couple things. One, I'm going to invite you to remember that a thriving church prays passionately. It walks in diversity. We all have different gifts. You don't need the rest of the verses to remember that, but we will talk more about it. And a thriving church grows experientially. We tell what God is doing. We tell of how we've seen him at work. Are we thriving? Can we get enough of telling how great God is? Can we get enough of telling that he's done this or he's even, even in the sad things. I remember just this week, I was stressed and I responded, nothing, nothing horribly, but I responded out of frustration. And I went home and I told Melissa, Melissa, you'll never believe what I did. And I got frustrated and I, I said this and she just laughed at me, which was great because she, she understood the situation. But in that moment when I, when I just responded out of emotion rather than in compassion, I was convicted. And I was thankful that it bothered me. Because it must mean I'm growing. And so I invite you to share with one another those stories of how God is helping you grow through the big things and the little things. Because remember how Paul started. Paul started by persecuting the church wanting anyone that was a follower of the way, what would later be called a Christian, to be either dead or in prison. And then he met Jesus. And then he couldn't help but share Jesus with anyone, all the way up to the very emperor of Rome. Are we praying, as God tells us to pray in Jeremiah, these words? Are we praying for the peace and prosperity of the city to which God has carried us into? And sometimes it might feel like we are exiled in this world. 
And that is true in a sense because we are citizens of heaven and we are aliens here. But while we are here, we are to pray for the peace and prosperity of this place, that God's light would be shown among all people and that his people would be rooted in the word, strengthened in love, diverse in who they are, and empowered by the Spirit to go out. So, Wednesday night, every day at 10, every first Sunday of the month, and all the time, let us pray. Lord, I confess, there's been a lot of times when I don't know how to pray. Certainly not like this. But your word teaches us so much. And so I pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. We trust you in every area of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would root us and establish us in love, that AIC would be known as a people of love and that we would have power together with all the Lord's holy people all over the world and throughout time to begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus Christ as we remember him every day, not just on Sundays. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 